Welcome to the Weird History Podcast. I'm Joe Streckert. This is an independent, listener-supported show. To support it, go to weirdhistorypodcast.com. Hey folks, today on the show, I talk to Lucy Bellwood. She is a cartoonist and illustrator and author here in Portland, Oregon, a great city to be a cartoonist and illustrator and author, and she went viral last year. She did an image, initially for a maritime museum, of sailor tattoos. It showed a sailor with ink all over his body, showing things like swallows and a fully rigged ship and other things you would associate with a tattooed nautical guy. And that ended up getting spread around the internet. Uh, it was picked up by sites like Atlas Obscura, and the astronaut Chris Hadfield retweeted it, and it was all over the place. On the show, we talk about sailor tattoos, uh, what they are, and the meaning behind them. We also talked about what it's like to go viral and have your work out there and recirculated by all of the usual suspects on the history internet. Uh, we also talked about checking your work, what it's like when you're into a topic and you find that the received wisdom is mistaken and that there is more to the story than you thought there was. Uh, this was a fascinating conversation. Uh, Lucy is brilliant. I really enjoyed talking to her, and I hope you enjoy listening to us. So here we go. All right. Did you want to begin by introducing yourself to folks? Absolutely. So my name is Lucy Bellwood. I am a cartoonist and educator, and I live here in Portland some of the time. And the rest of the time, I travel around teaching people about comics and talking about my work. I've had a very travel-heavy year, so I feel a little strange saying that I live here right now. I'm the author of two graphic novels, Baggy Wrinkles, A Lover's Guide to Life at Sea, and 100 Demon Dialogues, which just came out this year. How did you get into things nautical? I... Ooh. This is a tricky question. For a long time, I thought I knew the answer, and it was Pirates of the Caribbean came out when I was in middle school, high school, and it was trendy, and everyone was into pirates, but I was into pirates slightly earlier than that, before it was cool, but still kind of around that age. But actually... I found forensic evidence that I was into boats at a very early age, that I had like nautical coloring books, and I would draw pictures of ships when I was very young. Ooh. I grew up in Southern California, not too far from the coast, so I spent a lot of time in contact with the ocean. But I, your guess is as good as mine for the deep history stuff. Certainly, I was a huge Cutthroat Island fan, and that <laughs> played an enormous part in my development as a maritime enthusiast. That... That movie is very bad, but it's so impressive. It's so good. How dare you? <laughs> I mean, okay. I have I have been on many podcasts ranting about my love for Cutthroat Island, which really? I don't know if you've revisited it and rewatched it recently. It's shockingly feminist and progressive for the time in which it was made. And it's also, I mean, it is dreadful. The dialogue is, is mm. genuinely awful. Um, the physical stunts, super fun. Okay, but we're not here to talk about we a late to talk 90s, about Cutthroat Island. Yeah. A, a late nineties movie, which is, I think, at this point being reassessed and <laughs> it's maybe finding a, a new second audience. Coming is what uh, it is. We're here to talk about sailor tattoos. We are, yeah, yeah. For people who may not know and might have been afraid to ask such a seemingly basic question, what is a tattoo? Okay, so I'm going to preface this by saying I'm a person who doesn't personally have any tattoos. But I also have zero of them. Great, we are ideal candidates to talk about this subject however we do both live in portland oregon where everyone has a tattoo and i am given to understand i've even seen somebody being tattooed so i feel like i can mm -hmm. speak to this with some certainty uh tattoos are beads of ink that are 
embedded under the skin, usually with a needle. There are different methodologies for getting the ink under the skin, but most of the time it is done with a tattoo gun, which is essentially a device that has a little ink canister in it and a needle, which is kind of like a sewing needle motorized, right? And it pricks in and out of the skin at a fast rate going and the ink flows down the tattoo needle into the skin of the person you're tattooing. Um, and then the scar tissue forms, I guess, around, under, beneath, through the ink, and then the ink stays in your skin. There are, in fact, inks that you can get that will biodegrade into your body after a certain number of years, hmm. which I learned about because my father informed me one day several years ago that he had read about this technology and was thinking of getting my name tattooed on his body somewhere, which I thought was very sweet. But Aww. then it came in the same breath as him describing that he had learned about this ink that only lasted for five years. And it was like, well, what are you trying to say here, dad, that I'm only, you'll reassess after five years, which I right. suppose is a pretty healthy way to approach a relationship, honestly, <laughs> but not with your parent. I mean, come on. I mean, parent child relationships are kind of um, unique in that matter. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one that you don't reassess every five years, every other relationship. So yeah, that's, that's my understanding of how tattoos work. You can get different colored inks, I learned recently that red is the most likely color to cause an allergic reaction if Ooh. a person is getting a tattoo because a person of my acquaintance got a red tattoo without getting the little pinpricky test thing that they usually give you to test if you're allergic to the ink. And now she is in the long, painful process of having that tattoo removed because she is allergic to something that was permanently embedded under her skin, which is not a pretty scene. Well, that sounds terrible. So Don't get tattoos, right, okay. kids. <laughs> Get tattoos if you want. It'll be fine. Yeah. Um, when I think of tattoos, there are two different professions that come to mind. One mm -hmm. is Japanese gangsters and the other is sailors. Right. And today we're here to talk about sailors. Oh, I thought we... Oh, not the Yakuza. Okay. Not the other thing. <laughs> not Yakuza. Um, I used to live in a Yakuza neighborhood, though. It was... Really? Yeah. Well, it was a neighborhood with a bunch of, like, massage parlors and pachinko parlors and mm -hmm. very sketchy men with tattoos who... Yeah. That's a whole different thing. You came to some prominence on the internet for publishing a guide to sailor's tattoos. Yes, which had a, a long and interesting history. It actually started out as an illustration for a maritime museum in Vancouver, BC. Mm -hmm. And they had contacted me very, this is super early in my freelance career, 2013. I was fresh out of college and um, fairly fresh into freelancing and had gotten connected to this gig through my friend, Tony Cliff, who's a cartoonist who lives in Vancouver. And he mentioned that the Maritime Museum was looking for an illustrator for this project. And so I ended up working uh, with a company called Skip Designs, and we partnered to produce this guide to sailors' tattoos for an exhibit about scrimshaw and tattooing. So the arts of the sailor, the, the exhibition was called. And it subsequently toured to a bunch of different maritime museums uh, up and down the West Coast, and people got to see the poster in a lot of different places. And I think I was paid $190 or something at whatever paltry hourly rate I was billing back at the time. And there was no contract. And so there was no specification what anyone could do with that image. So I went on to partner with a mutual friend of ours and print it onto uh, letterpress prints to sell and give out as part of a Kickstarter. And it had enjoyed this sort of life in, in my orbit and then it got picked up by Boing Boing, and an article went mm -hmm. out about it around November of last year, I think. And it precipitated this enormous rush of people suddenly posting about it and sharing it. And it kind of went through what I've come to understand as the viral internet grinder, that there are a certain 
type, there's a certain type of website that they all kind of feed each other in this like semi-gross sort of way where it's like boing boing <laughs> posts about it. And then like My Modern Met, Atlas Obscura, George Takei, like, you know, there's this grind of people who bring media to the public through popular social platforms who are fiscally compensated for doing so, which the backdoor economics of all that stuff is very fascinating to get into. We don't have to get into it now. But anyway, the image went mildly viral. And so uh, a lot of people suddenly were paying attention to it, which was mm -hmm. pretty interesting and cool. Yeah. No, I mean, I'll probably edit this out, but I kind of feel you on that. Yeah. Like not to the same extent, but uh, years ago, uh, the Portland Oregonian republished something of mine without permission and stung a little. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's not, I mean, I, yeah, I could talk about this all day, but it's, and it's not that I think the, the big essay that I wrote, like an analyzing financially what happened as a mm -hmm. result of that, a lot of it ties back to the fact that Boing Boing did it right. They did mm -hmm. the right thing the right way. They linked to all of my stores. They made it very easy and clear for people to get to my work. Mm hmm what was interesting was that for a long time, the image had been going viral quietly amongst like military and naval communities on Facebook, but it was always posted without attribution. And so most of the time I didn't see it. And even right. if I did see it, like, what am I going to do? Walk in and tell a bunch of ex-Navy guys like, hey, I'm a young lady. You should pay attention to me and stop taking my image without. <laughs> like, I don't know. That <laughs> didn't seem like a great use of my time for some right. reason. Well, but... let's uh, let's talk about the image. How yeah. is it that sailors, um, as we think of them, American and European sailors, mm -hmm. How is it that that population got associated with tattoos and tattooing? So for a long time, the received knowledge was uh, Captain James Cook's expedition to the South Pacific led to contact between European sailors and uh, Southern Ocean uh, Islanders, South Pacific Islanders, who have a longstanding history of tattooing, which is done through uh, viewers or listeners who have seen the film Moana, you actually see this type of tattooing being practiced where it's a long uh, stick with little, many small points mm -hmm. in it that is dipped in ink and then tapped repeatedly with like a, a second stick or a hammer. And those pinpricks are all driven into the subject's skin simultaneously. So it's apparently very painful. And <laughs> it uh, creates these dotted bands of tattooing. And there's a, a momentary joke about it in the film, which is uh, kind of tickled me because that's a very an area of history that I'm interested in. So for a long time, people said, oh, Cook's sailors encountered these Maori tribes people and, or islanders, and they had tattoos, um, really prominent, impressive ones. And the sailors were like, yeah, that's a good idea. We want that too. And that was what popularized tattooing in Europe. They so recently and that was the information that I published in my first book, which is a collection of comics about maritime history. Mm -hmm. What came to light for me a few years later was I got connected to someone who was doing their graduate research work on the history of tattoos in European culture. And the story, like most convenient stories in history, as I'm sure you're familiar, is mm. generally one of those things where you're oh, like, yes. if it's easy, it's probably not true. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, it is probably bunk. Uh, it, it, not to say that Cook's sailors did not come into contact with tattooed islanders, but that looking at the historic record in other languages, this researcher had found um, additional evidence that tattooing was not an unknown or alien practice in Europe prior to Cook's expedition. Mm -hmm. And he was sailing from um, he was sailing in and around Australia. But in Europe, in many, many different countries, there were actually historical precedents for tattooing. So to say that he was the person who was sort of solely responsible for bringing 
tattooing into the mainstream is not technically true. Um, and the I, I won't summarize their entire thesis here, mostly because it's been a while since I've read it and I want to make sure that I do it justice. Okay. <laughs> but I will give you the link if you'd like to share that with uh, that would be great. the show notes. Because uh, it's a great read. And it's a really good example, I think, of how our understanding of the historic record changes. I mean, this is what history PhD people are for, is mm-hmm. changing our understanding of received knowledge about how this stuff is supposed to work. Right. Uh, yeah, you said it before we were we were talking before recording that they looked at Italian sources. And... I think okay, so... it was Italian. Yeah, it was. It's certainly the point mm-hmm. was a lot of the time historians just read what's written in English mm-hmm. and assume that that's the whole story. Right. And actually, if you are bi or trilingual, which you know, humble brag, uh, you go and <laughs> I guess <laughs> I am definitely not, but the researcher was. Uh, and you go and read some of these other sources, you'll find that actually other people are writing about it. And this is actually one of the best nautical books that I read in the last year is um, a book called The Discovery of Jean Beret, which is a memoir, not a memoir, but a, a biography by Glynis Ridley, who wrote the story of the first woman to circumnavigate the globe. Oh. And she did so disguised as a man on a botanical expedition put up by the French and ended up being gone from home for nine years and collecting over 6,000 botanical specimens and doing the lion's share of the work for her originally lover subsequently um like ticket onto the vessel uh who had a leg injury and so most of the field work that he was doing and taking credit for she was actually doing on his behalf okay and she for the longest time was written off in history as this footnote based on the account that we have of her from the commanding officer of the expedition and contextually commanding officers accounts were very often uh heavily edited and doctored for public consumption and published upon the return of the voyage. It was a publicity Mm -hmm. stunt, right? It was like a press release. Right. And so there's copious evidence that he edited all of the instances of her appearance in his diaries to paint the French in a a noble light to suggest that it was the savages on these islands who had attempted to unflower her um, when she was unmasked as a woman. And all this stuff that doesn't really add up and Ridley's point was she went back and read again not in another language but in other accounts of different diarists from the voyage the fact that she could triangulate and determine that other people did already know that Burray was a woman and they probably hmm. just assume like they it's it's very likely that she was assaulted uh by French sailors not by islanders um anyway there's a lot of fascinating historical detail in there and it's a great book I highly recommend it but it it does again, bring home this point of oftentimes we just receive the first convenient source and think, oh, this must be true. Yeah, we do do that. Yeah. So moving from the position of I know nothing okay, <laughs> and everything is being called into question and these are exciting, nay, interesting times, um, then I, th- I would say that tattooing has been a part of the sailing tradition for a long time. And it's also, I think when you, it's it's important to say, like when we talk about European, English, and American sailors Mm -hmm. versus, you know, Pacific Islanders who it's in the last 20 or 30 years really been upended this, this understanding of the kind of voyaging culture that they had and how Mm -hmm. often and how sophisticatedly they were able to travel between islands and around the globe. Uh, But for European sailors, I think a lot of the tattooing culture that you refer to when you say, oh, I think of sailors and tattoos, you're talking about Navy tattoos a lot of the time, which if... I think it's I'm probably better poised to work backwards from the present day, which is to say that the military and naval complex has really 
codified this culture mm-hmm. of tattoos as merit badges, essentially, right? You refer to them as uh, Xbox accomplishments, right? Yeah, Xbox, we started achievements, talking. yeah. Xbox achievements. Yeah. And uh, for me, I tend to think of Girl Scout badges. And okay. they're yeah. basically the same thing. It's like, hey, you did a thing. You get a little sticker. Well, let's let's talk about some of them. Let's say that I am in a bar with a bunch of rough and tumble sailors mm-hmm. and I see some big burly dude with his shirt open and there's just a big ship on his chest <laughs> with full rigging just in view of everyone. What does it mean? What is he saying to people by displaying that? I mean, if you're in Portland, probably not the thing that you... <laughs> this is the, kind of the sad truth and one of the things that I joke about being grumpy about. But in reality, you know, people can get mm-hmm. tattoos of whatever they want. Uh, but technically, according to the lore, you get a fully rigged ship tattooed for rounding Cape Horn, which is one of the most treacherous regions of the planet to traverse. It's the very tip of South America and uh, generally ships needing to get from the east coast of america over to the pacific northwest to engage in the tea trade with china were having to make that passage fairly frequently and it uh sent many sailors to a watery grave and so it's a pretty big deal to have done that and it entitles you to get this tattoo of a fully rigged ship entitles you so i'm guessing that this is it's like an optional thing possibly yes (laughs) Um, there's certainly a long standing. So one of the other tattoos is for crossing the equator. You become mm-hmm. a shellback and a, which is a, another word for a, a sea turtle, mm-hmm. um, and a member of King Neptune's court. But in order to have that, and usually sailors are granted, uh, certificates for this kind of accomplishment, especially for, for the line, crossing the line, it's called. And if you cross the line, you do generally receive a very beautiful calligraphed, um, certificate detailing the fact that on this day at this time at this longitude and latitude you entered into the court of king neptune but the way in which that's accomplished is through a intensely brutal hazing ritual which is less so now but accounts that i've read of men running away to sea uh in the early part of the 1900s let's say uh early part of the 20th century late 1800s um the the ritual is like men are dragged through a sailcloth tubs full of sewage and then like dunked in tar their heads are forcibly shaved they're beaten black and blue by the rest of the crew and then sort of ritually like semi-drowned off the side of the ship it's really it's not very pleasant and this kind of goes along with a line that i've held for a long time which is you know for all the romance and excitement and popular culture appeal of pirates Life at sea in general was an intensely miserable mm-hmm. place to be. And I think it says a lot about uh, the romantic pull of wanting to work on enormous vessels like this, that men and women have endured unspeakable mm-hmm. horrors for many, many years in order to be close to that world and a part of that experience. And now these days, it's usually like you get doused with a bucket of kitchen scraps in some kind of unpleasant slurry. The head shaving is still very much a thing. Uh, somebody from the crew dresses up as King Neptune. So there's usually a lot of improvised costumes and cross-dressing. And, uh, <laughs> it's, a whole, it's a whole thing. It's pretty wild. Yeah. And the people who are uh, greenhorns, the, the people who have not been before, are generally dragged out of bed in the middle of the night and hauled on deck and given this royal treatment in order to uh cross over into the fraternity so it's it's pretty brutal um Mm -hmm. less brutal these days but as far as the entitlement to a tattoo goes you can get a shellback turtle after you have crossed the line 
And I don't want to say that it's unheard of that somebody would forcibly receive that tattoo during that ceremony because that sounds very in line with mm -hmm. the general gist of the thing is non-consensual tattoos is pretty par for the course if someone's also punching you in the nose and like... That whole hazing <laughs> ritual sounds far worse than actually getting a tattoo. Yeah, I mean, maybe they're just trying to, you know, say, look, maybe a sailor's just afraid of getting a tattoo and they're like, buddy, mm -hmm. it's fine. We're going to beat you up and do all this other stuff. And then when you get the tattoo, we'll say, see, that's not so bad compared to what you had to go through. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> what, what other ones are there? Uh, swallows, for instance. Swallows. Swallows are one of my favorites, mostly mm -hmm. because they're very common and you see them in, in pop culture a lot and uh, people just tend to get them because they're cool looking. Mm -hmm. But swallows are actually a distance-based merit badge. So if you've sailed 5,000 nautical miles, you get to have a swallow. And if you do 10,000 nautical miles, you get to have another swallow. Generally, you just get the two. Uh, I guess you could get more after that. but And, and where would they get them? I, I see you gesturing. but Yeah, like... you, usually people get them on their pectoral muscles, so mm -hmm. like on their chest uh, facing one another. And there are a number of interpretations, like the nautical star that is kind of like a punk symbol now, I guess, as well. Or it's like the kind of thing you see yeah, blazoned on stuff in Hot Topic. A lot of people have, a, uh, have that, that tattooed on themselves. <laughs> my assessment of what <laughs> punk is. It's like, I've seen it in a Hot Topic once. I'm I'm dying over here. Um. <laughs> Grandma Bellwood tells you what's hip. Um, so yeah, they uh, people ask me a lot. Oh, what does the nautical star mean? And it's like oh, it's got a bunch of different meanings. There's no one categorical significance. But with swallows, mm -hmm. a lot of the time, it's that they uh, always find their way home. So there's this notion that a swallow is going to guide you home um, or like carry. I, I think there's another one that says that swallows will carry a sailor's soul to heaven when he dies. Which Aww. is, aww. Um, yeah, sailors, though, not very, I'll tell you about one of my favorites, because the swallows and the tall ships and, like, all that stuff, everyone's like, yeah, I want to get that tattoo. That sounds, like, nautical and badass. But the one that is kind of weird and that if you see somebody, so if you see your burly man with a tattoo of a ship on his chest, he might be a sailor. He might not, though. And if you're like, hey, so how was that horn? He's going to think that you're coming on to him and it might get ugly. So just, you know, be, be careful. Um, but with the pig and the rooster... That's where things get interesting because no person without some kind of nautical know-how in their background is going to be like, you know what I feel like getting a tattoo of today is a pig on one foot and a rooster on the other. That is just a kind of oddly specific thing to want if you're not embedded in a historic tradition. Right. So the pig and the rooster, there are a variety of different interpretations, but the one that I enjoy the most is that pigs and roosters and livestock were kept in wooden crates on board a vessel. So oftentimes if there was a shipwreck, the wooden crates would float to shore, smash open on the rocks, and the livestock would escape and populate these various desert islands in oh, around okay. various places. And what the sailors assumed was if the ship went down and they had a pig and a rooster tattooed on their feet, emblematically, those animals would imbue the presence of flotation into the sailor's feet, keeping him afloat and saving him until he made it to shore. Of course, if his feet were floating, he'd be upside down in the ocean and would drown. I mean, one would hope that the spirit of flotation would kind of like permeate. You know, sort of levitating throughout. fashion. Yeah. Right, feet up. Yeah, anti-gravity, mm -hmm. anti-flotation, or deflotation. Yeah, anyway. Uh, <laughs> but I just really love this notion of the, the animals granting this levitating power. Yeah, and when I think of animals that are good at water, I think of pigs and roosters. Oh, totally, yeah. yeah. The most aquatic of the bunch. Right, so you would think like, why not a porpoise? Why not a... Whatever. Right, right. But right. this is also a, a whale, common, yeah. you know? Well, this is a common truth about sailors too, though, is that many, many of them could not swim. And this happens... Yeah, so I've heard about this before <laughs> uh -huh. and it, it blows my mind 
But like, what's up with that? Well, I, okay. A, a lot of them were press ganged into service. So they would be um, drugged in taverns along the waterfront. They would be young kids who didn't really have a lot to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, they would get to drinking with members of the crew who would seem very friendly and genial and ply them with drinks for the evening. And then somebody would clob them on the back of the head and they would be drug out to the vessel uh, through either through a tunnel or just through the streets. Oh, I have so many opinions about what you're saying right mm, now. But go on, go um, on. Would be Shanghai <laughs> yeah. uh, is the term and taken on board the vessel and pressed into service against their consent. So mm-hmm. again, one of the other wonderful ways that life at sea is actually kind mm-hmm. of a shit show. Um, so it's, yeah, that, that happened a, a lot. Uh, and so that would mean that, you know, the people who you're taking on board the vessel are not maritime people they didn't grow up near bodies of water they're not you know recreationally learning Mm -hmm. to swim and it is a very leisure oriented activity you know if you think about that makes sense the practice of learning to swim or Mm -hmm. taking the sea air and participating in a nice bath like that's a very victorian sort of concept and if you're looking at the golden age of sail and thinking about 1800s or whatever no one's got their water wings in the kiddie pool learning to swim from age seven with the other kids at the country club like that's not a thing so a lot of uh, farm laborers or lower class members of society who were getting drafted into these expeditions who wanted to escape life on land probably didn't have time to learn to swim before they got, you know, signed up and pressed into service. And then once you're on the ship, ideally, if things are going well, you do not spend a lot of time in the ocean. That's reasonable. Yeah, yeah. which is the point that people make a lot when uh, they say, or the point that I make a lot if people say, oh, I would love to do that, but... I'm really afraid of the ocean. I'm afraid of swimming. And like, Mm -hmm. that's, I I would hate to do that. I'm like, no, this is the best job for you because your job is to stay on the boat. You are a good sailor if you don't go swimming. So what you're saying is that sailors not knowing how to swim is analogous to aircraft crews not knowing how to fly. Like, personally, like with their arms. Yes, that is an excellent suggestion. (laughs) Or that they haven't done a lot of skydiving. Okay. Um, Which I wonder what the, crossover instances of that of like air stewards and stewardesses yeah like how many people who work on flight attendants flight attendants that's the one uh how many flight attendants or pilots Mm -hmm. also dabble in skydiving right uh i couldn't tell you but uh we're hinting on something about Mm -hmm. like the maybe superstitious nature of tattoos yes with the rooster and the pig sort of giving you some kind of spiritual ability to float better it's like a sigil yeah yeah or a rune or a spell that you and i think there's something very totemic about inking Mm -hmm. something onto your skin forever there's this this type of attachment that dovetails with sailors being incredibly superstitious and in addition to being very fearful i mean the tattoo lore is just one corner of a very very rich vein of oral history that on uh Oh, now I I think this is also a pig-related fact that you are not supposed to take pork on a fishing vessel. That is extremely bad luck. Somebody taught me that recently. Uh, but there are a lot of other ones. You're not supposed to whistle on a ship because it will call up an ill wind. So um, earlier this year, I happened to be at the Columbia River Maritime Museum in Astoria. Uh-huh. And an excellent they, maritime museum. It is an excellent maritime museum. And they had a list of fun facts of all the things you're not supposed to do on a boat. Uh-huh. Those were there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Although the youngest cabin boy i think is allowed to whistle the only member of the crew who is allowed to whistle is the youngest smallest cabin boy uh i'm trying to think of some other good ones uh traditionally very bad luck to have a woman on board which people tend to ask me like where that comes from Mm -hmm. and it's 
good old fashioned sexism. I mean, I don't. It could I mean, be good old fashioned sexism. That doesn't actually seem that mysterious. <laughs> but I mean, also someone had raised the idea of you know maybe it's that ships are generally in the English language coded female mm. and uh, often have female figureheads, and perhaps it was this sense that the sailors were meant to be true to the figurehead and the spirit of the ship. They already had a wife, and it was the vessel that they cared for. And to have another woman on board was treasonous. Uh, Lord knows. There's a polyamory joke in there somewhere. There totally is. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, um, were there any other tattoos with like supernatural or kind of like totemic or spiritual um, meanings attached to them for sailors? I think the swallows carrying the soul up to heaven and the pigs and roosters floating the body are the two that I'm most aware of. Mm -hmm. There's one... Um, there's a naval tattoo, which I think is actually more recent, um, oh, which I am going to goof and I'm sure somebody remembers what this is. It was something about there's like a rose and the thorn of the rose is pricking a heart. And it's something to do with the fact that the sailor in question is so loyal that he would kill anything, even something beautiful to protect what he loves. Or, you know, there's there's some some of them have layers of significance like that that are often actually pretty saccharine. Okay. Um, and then some of them are just like, oh, I got six knives because I will knife a guy. And right. That's... What about hold fast on the knuckles? That one's real logical. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a, a famous video that was made in the early 1900s by a famous, arguably the grandfather of sail training, which is the practice of bringing typically young people, but any people onto tall ships and teaching them how to sail and showing them the ropes and taking them places and that being a sort of stand in for coming of age because Mm -hmm. it's a real good way to learn a lot about yourself and people around you to go sail on a big ship like that um and irving and his wife exie johnson they pioneered the practice of sail training in the states uh and sort of the western world at large taking crews often of high schoolers who were totally untrained on circumnavigations around the globe which is super cool so when he was a young man, he took a trip on the Peking, which is a bark, a big, big sailing vessel that for a long time was moored at the South Street Seaport in New York. And they recently towed her back to Hamburg, Germany to be refitted because she was in really, really bad shape. But the ship was part of a famous fleet uh, called the Flying Pea Line, who were all ships that ran the grain trade from Australia to New York and mm-hmm. uh, London. And he went on one of the last trips around Cape Horn that the Peking ever took and took a camera with him. He went as a passenger, but ended up laying in with the crew and doing a ton of work with them. And the footage that he shot at a time when cameras were not like GoPro handy cams, he was lugging around an enormous camera in a glass box, hauling it up the mast, you know, several hundred feet into the air while this ship is going through. They they saw one of the worst storms going around Cape Horn that had been recorded in recent memory. And the video is an incredible testament to the effort of all of the crews of sailors who piloted ships around the world in that time period. Um, and it's all documented. And he went back and narrated the film as an older man. And it is hilarious and delightful and Mm -hmm. i highly recommend it but there is a point where he refers to the phrase hold fast and talks about uh climbing aloft on this ship and is showing footage of these sailors working out on the yard arm which by the way at the time they had no security lines no harnesses no nothing they were just free and easy hanging out 
hundreds of feet off the ground. Occasionally, they would lower themselves from one big horizontal yard to the next by uh, pinching their hands on the edge of the sail and just lowering themselves down with sheer hand grip strength. You know, no. So basically doing American Ninja Warrior on a boat. Exactly, yeah. That's their it, job. That was American Ninja Warrior. And yeah. he was the first person to film it and should have an executive producer credit, in my opinion. But there is a moment where he talks about this and says, well, you know, people ask me, you get up there and it's got to be real scary and you're looking at the waves and, oh, it's all coming, the, the wind and the rigging and the, don't you worry about falling. And he said, that's why sailors get hold fast tattooed on their knuckles because you get up there and you think, well, it'd be silly to let go. <laughs> And he's just like completely the whole the whole film is him. There's a moment where they lose somebody like a guy goes over the side in the middle of the mm-hmm. storm. And he's like, oh, we lost Billy. Those sad times. Moment of silence because that's the way of the world. It's the way of the ship. Anyway, here's this dog that we put a hat on. And like it's just very um, surreal and matter of fact. And definitely this image of a bygone era. Um, there, There's a. Oh, an English journalist whose name I'm spacing on. He wrote a book called The Last Grain Race, the cover of which I can totally picture. And it, oh, it's really bugging me that I don't remember his name. Um, Eric Newby, Eric Newby, who, yeah, he was a British journalist and he wrote a similar account of actually crewing on a vessel in the same fleet and actually wrote a lot of different books about working on different tall ships at kind of the end of the golden age of sail and mm-hmm. he recounts many similar stories and is actually the person i turn to for the crossing the line ceremony which probably crops up in around cape horn the, the video as well but it's uh, occasionally you can hunt it down on vimeo and it's definitely worth a watch so the the knuckle tattoo is basically for a long time sailors had no auxiliary safety lines to tie them to the vessel and stop them from just plunging to their doom in the ocean below and it is true that once you're up there, it really doesn't make a lot of sense to take your hands off whatever they are holding on to. But hold fast has become synonymous with this idea that you are to make something fast, I should say, is to make it secure. Right. So telling someone to hold fast means telling them to hold firmly and to hold strong. Uh, what tattoos have we not talked about that you wanted to get to? Mm, um, the Golden Dragon, I believe, is for sailors who have served in uh, in the East, who have visited China. There are a couple that are job-related, which I think is interesting, that mm-hmm. sailors have um, different positions on the vessel. And I'm looking at my cheat sheet because I want to make sure that I get the correct ones for each uh, denomination. But the... Okay, so the bosun's mate gets a pair of crossed anchors between the thumb and forefinger on kind of the webbing meat of the hand that in sounds there. extremely painful yeah i imagine there are a lot of nerve endings there uh mm-hmm. again as someone with no tattoos um although the feet <laughs> i hear are very painful as well so probably getting your your pig and rooster is not none of it's great really you're being stabbed with tiny needles over and over again uh sailors who went to hawaii often got hula girls there are generally for deck hands you would get uh, just a band of line tattooed, a little band of rope tattooed around your wrist, which interestingly has found its way into modern sailing culture in the form of the Turk's head knot, which is a uh, line knotted around itself in a way that creates what looks like a braid, but it's just one single strand tied hmm. over and over again. And it forms a knot that a lot of sailors will tie onto their wrist, and it is bad luck to cut it with a knife and mm-hmm. um, sever it from your skin, and you're supposed to just leave it on until it rubs off 
or um, frays or, you know, disintegrates. But I know many sailors in the sort of modern tall ship sailing community who have had them on for 10 plus years and usually don't have to cut them off, barring like extreme muscle or weight gain, at which point they become constrictively tight and you start to worry that their hands are going to fall off. And then they're like, oh my gosh, I can cut. But the superstition runs so deep that I've seen people who are visibly being hurt by that being like, but I don't want to cut it because... What if something bad happens? The bad thing that's going to happen is you're going to lose your non-dominant hand, my friend. Anyway, so that I think is an interesting modern version of if you're not quite ready to commit to the tattoo of a Turk's head or a, a line around your wrist, then you can just tie the knot and that'll be there. So you're alluding to modern practices. Mm -hmm. um, are the are any of these like still in use? Are are there still people who do this as part of a tradition or do it because they like really buy into the supernatural stuff about it or superstitious stuff about it or is it something that's declined or what is what is the current state of sailing tattoos as we think of them all right current modern update <clears throat> i think it's probably split into two camps now if we're talking about like american sailing communities mm -hmm. american naval sailors are definitely still getting tattoos and again in the military as well you've got a lot of like that kind of Again, like a Girl Scout troop, and I say this not intending to like have that be a diminutive comparison in any way, that it is uh, a close-knit group of people who mm -hmm. are going through an experience together and want to commemorate that in something that feels truthfully lasting to the bond that is being created. And so the tattoos that are based on, you know, a particular campaign or a regiment you served with or, you know, a ship that you crewed on, like, I think that's still a fairly popular practice. And then there's also this resurgence of modern tall ship sailing becoming a thing. Again, there's, I mean, call it like, you know, retro nostalgia or whatever you want, but there's uh, an undeniable number of people who do still make this their job and mm -hmm. they sail around on various vessels. And uh, amongst those communities, I think there is more of an affection and affinity for old school traditional maritime aesthetics and so you will see people i've designed swallow tattoos for friends of mine who have worked on sailing uh ships that do transatlantic crossings and like help kids do sail training stuff and uh the friend that i designed the tattoos for has done that run a bunch of different times and so i finally got to see i painted him this watercolor swallow and the tattoo artist that he got was amazing because it was a watercolor painting but they made it look like that on his skin which is very cool. So you don't have any tattoos, but you've designed several. I have, yeah. I designed another one. Uh, of that's, the... that's some cred. It is some cred, I suppose. It's yeah. also the most nerve-wracking type of freelance work imaginable because you're like, okay, no pressure. This is just going on someone's body forever. Um, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. I did yeah. one for my friend uh, Andrea that she uh, is from Bermuda, and mm -hmm. I did a sort of 15th century style old school map with sea monsters for her of the island and that was really fun because if you want a good time like go look up you know 15th century sea monsters on maps and oh oh i am really into that yeah it's <laughs> very good and one of the maps that i had taken most of my inspiration from uh was on display at the um morgan library in new york when i was there a couple months ago and one of the people who had come to my book event happened to be an archivist there and asked if I wanted to go have a tour. And so I went with her and they were having this exhibition about um, monsters in medieval uh, bestiaries and like imagery. And 
right at the front of the exhibition hall was this huge ancient book with all of these sea monsters back when they were like a sea monster. Yeah, you know, a thing with the head of a pig and the body of a lion and 18 antlers coming out of its head and this huge water spout going from its nose. Like that's... That's what whales are. <laughs> yeah, that is 100% accurate what right. a whale is. Yeah. Because um, you don't know. The ocean is horrifying. There is stuff down... And they, I mean, they weren't too far off. Like there's no way at the time they could have known the horrors that the deep would hold. I am very squeamish about deep sea creatures. I do not like them. They mm-hmm. freak me out. Uh, and if you had shown any of them an anglerfish, I mean, that's not... That's too, fair. It's not too far that's off. Fair. Like, they're dreadful. Uh, anyway, I got to see the map in person, and it was super cool and very large and just as wacko as you would expect. That is amazing. So, uh, also, another detail about you is that you have astronaut fans. I do. I, again, this or at is least, like, at least one astronaut fan astronaut that we know An astronaut who of. at least heard my name once. <laughs> right. A couple times. Uh, yeah. Or whose social media team saw my... Because that's also the question is like, when you are famous astronaut Chris Hadfield, do you actually run your own social media account or are you too busy being an astronaut? Albeit one who is not currently in space. I I couldn't tell you. <laughs> but one thing we were talking about was potential space tattoos. Yes, this came up when... So when this image went uh, properly viral and, and lots of different sites shared it, it transitioned from websites like my modern met and alice obscura into individuals who have the followings of group websites so mm-hmm. chris hadfield the canadian astronaut is uh very popular on social media um because i think he put i follow a, him on twitter yeah, yeah he put a really delightful human face on mm-hmm. being in space that and i mean played david bowie and everybody really likes david bowie and that was just a lot of good things in one place so he now has a, a pretty robust secondary career doing public speaking and traveling around and he's also kind of a social media personality and uh his social accounts whoever runs them whether it's him or someone else shared the sailor tattoo image which led to weeks of people suggesting in my mentions what astronaut tattoos would look like so what are some suggestions uh people were really keen on you would get one for the first time you leave low orbit uh, mm-hmm. You get one for your first moonwalk. You get one for different planets that you visit, which is you know still a little far off, but working on it. it. Yeah, getting getting there. Um, I'm trying to think of what the other ones are. I mean, you know, you could have gross merit badges, like first time you hurled in a <laughs> go fast capsule, whatever those are called. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the thing where they test you out for being able to withstand the speed. Uh, I, well, I've heard it called the vomit comet. The vomit comet. That's right. it. <laughs> Definitely the technical term uh yeah the most of the ones were were moonwalk related um but a lot of the time it was just in the way that twitter is like 80 people Mm -hmm. making the same joke and saying oh what are the ones for astronauts so i really look forward to hanging out in a bar and seeing a big burly man with his shirt open and a rocket ship on his chest and i can know that guy has been to space oh yeah yeah where can people find you on the internet, mostly. I uh, am at lucybellwood.com, L-U-C-Y-B-E-L-L-W-O-O-D, which is my name. And that's my website. You can find comics and blog posts and links to where I'm going to be in the near future. I am on Instagram and Twitter as at lubellwoo, L-U-B-E-L-L-W-O-O. You can say it with an exclamation point. It makes you feel better. It makes me feel better every time. And uh, I'm also on Patreon if people want to see behind the scenes stuff on what I'm up to, which is patreon.com slash Lucy Bellwood. Lucy Bellwood, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All right, folks. Hope you enjoyed that. And you can find this show on Facebook and Twitter. 
facebook.com slash weirdhistorypodcast. I'm on Twitter at Joe Streckert, at J-O-E-S-T-R-E-C-K-E-R-T. Be sure to support the show. Uh, go over to weirdhistorypodcast.com and become a monthly supporter. That's very helpful. As is rating the show on Apple Podcast. Give us, you know, reviews and five stars and all of that. That helps other people discover the show. And I'm very grateful to everyone who has done that and continues to do that. Thank you all. Thank you for listening. Talk to you next time. Bye. <laughs>